Welcome to the first In the Thick of It of 2020. My name is Colin Lambert. I'm Managing Editor of P&L. With me, as always, is Galen Stops, Editor of P&L. Um, I guess if I'm going to be really pedantic, Galen, I think, you know, as a lot of people are fond of telling people, this actually technically isn't the start of a new decade because there was no year zero. The new decade starts yeah. December, January 1, 2021. All right, all right. Bring it down. Well, bring it down nice and early. Let's get people into the mood that we want for 2020. If we're being petty, I've, I've read loads of uh, memes and things on the internet about how when you're writing the date on official forms, you have to spell it out in full because otherwise people could write a different date after the 20. I don't know why people yes. do that, but but lots of people on the internet are very concerned about that. Seemingly. I think that's people of a certain generation, should we say, in inverted commas, <laughs> who are still writing checks. <laughs> Online banking does exist, so you know, your check won't be subject to your check won't be subject to fraud, but your account will be hacked. Um, anyway, on the subjects of on the subjects of cheeriness, uh, let's kick off with um, the volumes from the platforms for 2019. Um, the December round came in. I think the only one we're waiting for is the final 360T volumes for their forwards because they they release their spots but not the fours until later in the month. But um, generally speaking, I mean, it's it, it was it's a, it's a recovery from November, which was really horrible for just about every platform. Um, but it's down year on year. And, so kind of a, a um, good news, bad news scenario. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of that. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, I mean, you know, November was horrible. December had the UK election, which... Um, I think you know did give a few you know, did give a, a bit of a boost because we had some volatility either side of it as well you know we had that run up in cable or run up in sterling and then all of a sudden they're going like well actually nothing's really changed so they run it all down again and then they run it back up again so we had a good bit of volatility in sterling which I, I guess is reflected in the platforms and is probably why the one number to really stand out in December is what it is and that CBS is 56.9 yards. Um, which is their lowest, certainly since they started reporting data in sort of 2007-8, and probably its low. It could easily be its lowest this century. Um, it's it was it was pretty poor. But then, you know, to me, that's really a reflection of the fact that EBS doesn't do sterling. Um, yes, so that that's not necessarily that much of a, a significant fact, is it? I don't think so. No, I mean, I think also, I mean, that that's I should point out that's a 22-day average, so that includes um, Boxing Day, the 26th of December. Um, yep. I think if you took out, if you took that day out, they're probably going to be somewhere around the 58, 59 yards. Still, the lowest I think they've recorded. Um, CM, I mean, it's interesting. It was real good news, bad news for CME, wasn't it? Because you know they bought EBS, and you know if you look at the EBS numbers this year. It hasn't been great. You know, they peaked at, I think it was 90.7 in August. Um, and that used to be like, you know, the December number, which was always the year's low. Um, they went below sort of 70 into the 60s, you know, three times, four times, I think it was, and then into the 50s. So it hasn't been, at face value, that, that doesn't look great for, you know, CME's purchase of EBS. I think it's important to note they bought them for other than just the, the um, spot platform. CME, on the other hand, had a record day for FX Link um, in December. I think it was uh, open interest was like 2.4 million contracts, something like that. Um, and their volumes were up like you know 30% because it was a roll month. 
Yeah. The one that, but the I, one that interested me actually was Reuters. I thought Reuters might have done better. <clears throat> yeah, sorry, Rafinha has done it again, haven't I? I know. I know. Starting twenty twenty, the way I mean to go on. Yeah, because of their strength in Sterling. Um, yeah, they they recorded seventy eight yards of spot across all the platforms. Um, yeah, it's up on November, but actually that's still their second lowest of the year. And I think if you take out November, it's been quite a while. I mean, and, and again, we we got to add in the fact that this is a December, so it's historically um, low as a month. But I actually think at 78 yards, that's the second lowest that, ref- that matching an FX all has actually ever hit. So both primary venues, there's, there's not a great deal of news in the, for the primary venues there. Um, you know, apart from one horrible month in you know, the month before, they've both hit new lows, which is not great. No. Um, speaking of, on, on the CME side, though, I did get a, um, I got a very um, excited press release from CME Group about CME Link, um, which was that in uh, on January 2nd, they reached a new record of 42,068 contracts traded equivalent to 4.1 billion in notional. Now, this isn't the highest notional they've ever done because we reported um we reported a higher notional value in September last year, but it it was their record in contracts traded. Now, can you have a guess Colin about what the previous record was? So it's 42,086, was it? 68. 68. Um 42,008. <laughs> Close. So the, the previous record was 41,013. So I think okay. I, 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 while I applaud their enthusiasm, I do hope that I'm not going to get a press release every time, <laughs> every time they beat their previous record by 1,000 contracts. Yeah, that could be, that could be tougher. And let's face it, and, and we hope for CME's like that actually yeah they would feel the need to do that although i don't think they'd send it to us we'll we'll take one maybe every five or ten thousand maybe something like that you know when we when we get a ten percent increase we'll we'll be happy to take the thing then but you know um yeah they're not the only ones to do this a lot of the platforms a lot of the platforms like yeah i remember uh, who was it well maybe i won't name the platform i'll be nice but there's one platform who before they were reporting their volumes publicly used to send emails every day being like we're up thirty percent we're up ten yeah. percent. We're up twenty. Okay, but but from what? Doesn't matter. You're like, eh, yeah. kind of does. <laughs> yeah. Well, so you're coming yeah. from such a low base. Like it, it, it shouldn't be news. You should be growing by that much. Congratulations! You're now doing three yards a day. <laughs> yeah. After a month of twenty percent increases. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. yeah so <laughs> it's, I, I mean, that's always going to be the thing. I mean, in our game, unfortunately, we're always going to get that sort of, you know, that sort of spill coming through. And, you know, I suppose it's important. I, I think it highlights the importance that um, new firms or new ventures put on getting some success. Um, because I think there is a psychological edge to what people are trying to do here. You know, I think um, if you go back to FX market space, um, there was a problem because at the, I mean, it was a good idea. And I think we've all agreed since it was a good idea at the wrong time. Um, But there were some real problems with the perception of the platform. And they worked really hard to change those perceptions, but frankly, couldn't do it. And the net result being that they, um, 
they didn't get the growth because people go, you know, people get by the perception, oh, it's not really going very well. So I guess yeah. there's this need to keep on telling everyone, look, we are okay, we are going well. Um, they just don't need to be doing it every time it's a thousand contracts um, or, you know, half a billion dollars. I don't know. I, I actually think it's going to be quite an important year for FX Link. Um, and actually, something else I'd noticed, uh, you reported on it overnight here, um, LCH. Were yeah. another one reporting, you know, good numbers. And again, these numbers are coming from, you know, from a pretty low base because, you know, they're talking about their deliverable product, which what started, I think, in October. Um, yeah. So, so just for for people who haven't seen the article yet, which is on the website, if you want to go and have a look. Um, yeah. So, so on on the deliverable FX forwards, you know, yes, it it's gone up thirteen times, but as you say, very very low base, right? Um, What's perhaps more significant is that, uh, like overall, kind of the overall notional value on Forex Clear, its kind of FX clearing service, um, it it was up five percent year on year. Um, so I think mm. they they cleared eighteen trillion in notional value last year. Um, now, an interesting point, talking about low base of this eighteen trillion, sixty point five billion was client cleared notional, which. Mm. You know, up, up six times from 2018, but still, you know, a fraction of the overall um, clearing taking place. Yeah, I, I, I have this problem, and, and it's it's not new to a lot of people that read my stuff. I have this problem that we're at the moment we're focusing still on with this whole buy side focus we have. Uh, we're focusing on client clearing. We're focusing in on you know client trading of, of FX swaps or stuff, you know, or, or even spot. You know, in spot, I get it. You want to get the client business. But the real value in making the FX market more efficient, particularly in swaps, options, NDFs, and less so NDFs, I would argue, is the dealer-to-dealer. You know, how many clients? Yeah. I mean, most clients are trading forward foreign exchange because they want deliverable. They actually want to be paid because it's part of their hedge flow. Yeah, now yeah. I know there's a lot out there just you know just doing a rolling hedge and and they're happy to have it cleared and and to have you know possibly the reduced costs around that for them, but the real you know the real issue we need to get to here is again the dealer to dealer piece, and I was a little bit disappointed with the LCH data, thinking oh, I thought they might have seen more growth in that dealer to dealer space, but then I suppose it, the deliverable started fairly late. Um, the dealers are focused very much on the client piece of it as well. So I think that's another, you know, they've got to overcome that. Um, and I think there's this natural reluctance we've spoken about many times in this podcast around um, automating the FX ops market because there's a, you know, quite a, a strong college in the middle that doesn't want it automated you know, in the dealers and brokers. Um, I, I tend to think that this year could be a very important year for LCH and for CME with FX Link. I think, you know, because... We get closer and closer to you know the the new clearing rules or sort of the margin UMR, rules. UMR, yeah, yeah. Um, we get closer and closer to um, thresholds being you know lowered in terms of you know trade trading volumes before you come into into scope of these some of these regulations. Um, and there's no doubt that the authorities are trying to get people clearing. And so I would imagine that this would be quite a big year. For those two firms, if they're to succeed, this would probably be the year in which they would see growth because they're both offering 
you know benefits in this in this um, UMR world, aren't they? Um, yeah. And if people don't take it this year, when we're we're staring down the barrel of those rules, then I think you've got to ask: a) what's going on? Um, is it the model? Are they going somewhere else? Or actually, is it the fact that you know the dealers are happy to pay the extra costs because it's just not worth their business? Um, you know, going to these cleared, it's, it's easier to hold more capital. I don't know. Um, so, but I, I so don't think it's going to be, be a big year. So, if it's going to be a big year, are we in 2021? Are we going to be staring at press releases um, saying that that CME Link and LCH Forex Clear have had record years? I think we will anyway. Um, you're asking me for a prediction here, Galen. I haven't quite prepared for my predictions just yet. Um, apart from the fact I'm doubling down on Nokia's on Nokia Max, uh, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think we inevitably will see more growth in both businesses. To me, the, what I think is really interesting, and this is what I can't quite put a number on yet, is exactly how much they should have grown by for it to be considered a success. Because, I mean, I would look at it and go, if I'm looking at getting dealer-to-dealer -dealer clearing going properly, then I would suggest that um, LCH, for, you know, Forex Clear, could be looking at multiples, not just percentages, multiples okay. in terms of growth. Um, it's a question of timing and again it's a, you don't want to put too much pressure onto an organisation by saying oh yeah if you haven't grown by five times then you're an absolute failure although I'm sure there's bosses yeah. out there that are doing this um, but I do kind of think it should be in multiples if the clearing model is to succeed in you know forwards in particular FX swaps then I suspect that actually um, the amount compressed you know the amount you know, um, sort of, you know, matched off and the amount cleared should increase dramatically this year as we get closer to those. FX link is a slightly more different because that's more about the traders. And yeah. I wonder if, maybe I wonder if FX link needs the clearing piece to really take off and possibly the automation of markets, of OTC swaps markets, and then FX link will see the benefit from that from the traders hedging and they'll and they'll see and they'll see more volumes there so um if i had to, think, put, if I had to put something on it i would say i think lch will go bigger this year and fx link will go bigger but i think it may it may lag a little bit it will take time do you think do you think we're going to see significant growth uh you know like away from the the ndf piece obviously you know, we mentioned the FX forwards there. They've got options. These these are still very nascent. I mean, do you think that we're getting, you know things like UMR are really going to come in and drive people quickly in another direction there, or is that going to be kind of a a slow trickle increase? Increase, do you think? Well, I, I mean, I think it would be a slow trickle just because I think you know it's one of those things people are focused on, but not really. Um, there's a lot of focuses out there still. Um, I guess yeah, it's an interesting question that one because I would say that um, it will be a trickle to start with, but I would expect it to grow quite um, incrementally as the year progresses. And as we head to this time next year, I would, I would imagine that people should be prepared and should be looking at you know, the benefits of clearing and products like FXLink more than they are now. I don't think this is necessarily to the detriment of OTC markets. I think it's just a question of giving trades up for clearing. You know, particularly between, again, I can't, I cannot stress enough, 
particularly between dealers where there are a tremendous amount of netting opportunities anyway. But there's always inevitably going to be some sort of misbalance. Surely they can, these, you know, surely these trades can be given up for clearing, um, and it will take a lot of capital requirements off the dealers' balance sheets, which frees it up for people to take risk if they were allowed to take risk by their management or their regulators, which, of course, they're not. So the capital will just sit there doing nothing. And then people are going worried about, oh, we've got too much capital in the books. What do we do with that? Um, yeah, who knows? Perhaps it'll all go crypto. <laughs> what could go wrong? Exactly. Well, I mean, to be fair, I did notice. I think, it was like, I think we were all two days in and Bitcoin had its first 10% move of the year. So that was yep. good. Yep, yep, you know, yep. Volatility is back, baby. Yeah. But then even, but I mean, the other thing as well is, I mean, and this should be good news for the platforms. Um, <laughs> this is such an FX statement to make. Um, obviously, we came closer to war in the Middle East, so that's good news for the FX platforms. <laughs> 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 but I mean, you know, I mean, even Dolly Yen moved two big figures up and down this week. So that's even volume Dolly in Dolly Yen. Yeah, volatility in Dolly Yen. How does that happen? I, I think yeah. you know, there are probably people trading who weren't born the last time there was volatility in Dolly Yen. <laughs> but, but it happened. And, you know, and that should filter through. People trading, you know, it should filter through to the platforms. Um, so, yeah, maybe, you know, maybe 2020 will be an interesting one because we'll have more volatility. We'll also have um, a bunch more people coming in um, you know, looking for the efficiencies of clearing. But again, oh, we're suddenly getting very positive here, aren't we? Um, okay, well, let, let's let's be less positive then. Um, so I, I read it's only it's only the start of the year, and already I've I've read two opinion pieces from you. Um, one of one of which I do have um, some concerns about um, your your self declared win of P and L socks of the year. I don't know what you're talking about. That was an anonymous uh, competition. I I can't be. Nobody I'm knew sure. who they were voting for, Galen. I, I I resemble every remark you're making here. That's an absolute disgrace. I, you're slurring I my character. The, I can't be the only person who 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 read that and and kind of felt like the fix was in. Slightly suspicious that the P and L managing editor announces himself that he's won the P and L socks contest. I didn't say it was me. I just said these beauties won it. And, and to be fair, did you see a finer pair of socks than the yellow submarine? Or actually, technically, they were magical mystery tour socks with the Beatles' faces on it. I, I think that, I mean, you know, what can I say, Galen? The, vote, the readers have voted, and they voted in considerable numbers when you add in the 17 votes I put in on the multi, because I've got multi-IDs, of course. <laughs> I learned it from the best. I learned it from the best high frequency traders in foreign exchange. Had to get multiple tags, so I can so you can do, trade for yourself and vote for yourself. Um, so yeah, I mean, apart from you know, the multiple tags that I've got, I'm, you know, people voted in numbers. I, yeah. What's your other problem <laughs> well, anyway? A good dealer, a good dealer always wins. So move on. <laughs> well, I, I would I would recommend that uh, our listeners go and look up the hashtag PNL socks to uh, to make up their own minds about who really won. They made up their mind, mate. What can I say? You just have to deal with your disappointment for another year. <laughs> what was your other um, concern with my opinion pieces? <laughs> so, so no, the other one was less a concern and more question. So I wanted you to tell me more about um, the, the Bank of England's news conferences being hacked. How do you hack a news conference? Well, that's an interesting one, actually. And I think the, word, I think the use of the word hack 
Um, I actually put it in inverted commas because I think that's what's being banded around. Um, and I think, you know, generally speaking, we're, we live in a world where if anything strange happens, you know, the modern idiom is now hacking. Um, what it was, and <laughs> you kind of look at it and go, you know, I mean, it's, why did no one see this coming? So what it was was um, the Bank of England broadcasts um, its monetary policy uh, press conference. You know, they announced the outcome of the meeting. You know, we're leaving rates unchanged, we're cutting rates, we're raising rates, whatever else. And then a while later, um, there's a press conference with the governor of the Bank of England who explains, you know, what the thinking was behind the decision, um, you know, some of the subjects who are going. And this is where, importantly, they give forward guidance. You know, it's what's called forward guidance. So they'll turn around and say, you know, looking ahead. You know, the announcement says we left rates unchanged, but they say looking ahead, you know, we see slightly increased inflation pressures and an easing of the, you know, whatever, you know, the... the um, you know, economic situation, <clears throat> and all of a sudden people start thinking, okay, well, there's my forward guidance, they're going to be raising rates. So it's quite important stuff. And now this is done by video link. And so they stream okay. the video. And typically, and obviously I'm getting, um, I have no direct knowledge of this, but I'm going to tell you the way it is. Typically, um, I think there's an eight to 10 second delay on okay. video transmission. Now, over Christmas, I was watching uh, the cricket via the internet. And my mates were texting me, telling me there's wicket fall when the bloke hadn't even bowled the ball. So I can confirm there is <laughs> quite a delay on okay. video. Um, now, as a backup, the Bank of England had an audio feed, which literally was just audio. So if the video feed failed for some reason, then they would automatically switch to the audio feed so people could still get the information. So the TV channels, you know, your Bloomberg television, your Reuters television, CNBC, others do exist, obviously. They could just carry just like the audio with the logo saying, you know, Bank of England Governor Mark Carney. Now, this backup feed, this is where the, the question comes in. This backup feed apparently was just that, a backup. But there's a company, and there's, it's been quite a, made, quite a bunch made of the fact they're in Essex, which for the non-initiated is to the east of England, uh, east of London, um, and has a certain reputation, should we say, in certain circles. But it, they, they're at a park in um, Ongar in Essex, which is famous for one other thing, by the way. As you drive into Ongar, this is local knowledge, as you drive into Ongar, you come to a road sign for a roundabout, and it says, you know, straight on for Chelmsford, left for wherever it is, right to Ongar, and also right for, big letters, secret nuclear bunker. <laughs> I kid you not, there is a road sign saying secret nuclear bunker this way. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, this firm owns the fee or, or, or maintains the fees for the Bank of England. They apparently were going out to people saying, well, look, for two and a half grand a conference, you can plug into the audio feed. And the audio feed is a two to three second delay. I think you can do the math. Yeah. yeah. So basically, they were selling this feed to, uh, to, you know, to traders um, and they were getting the comments from the old lady, you know, up to seven seconds before most other people who were watching it. Now, the interesting moral question here is, what if you're a trader and you're approached by this firm to have this firm, what do you do? Do you take it? And I think this is an interesting question because I've spoken to a few people about it who knew about it. And two, two firms said yeah, we were approached and we didn't want to touch it because we weren't happy with where it was coming from. Mm -hmm. um, now, that, that probably means they did their due diligence and just asked the question, 
does the Bank of England know you're doing this? Yeah. And I also spoke to a couple of other firms and said, yeah, I think our traders were doing this. And there are, there are several reports, inevitably, that um, a bunch of you know, hedge funds and HFTs were also paying for the service um, without asking questions about where it came from. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, if you're a trader and you're looking to A, protect your customers' orders, A, protect your bank's position and your shareholders, and you do have to earn some money, and there is a feed that is seven seconds quicker of information that technically is already public because they've been uttered at least two seconds before, is it morally wrong to take that feed? Colin, my answer would be, as a trader, I'm not interested with what's morally wrong, I'm interested with what's legally wrong. Yeah, and that's probably the right thing. But clearly, um, okay, so therefore, should you do your, what level of due diligence should you do on the firm that has a contract with the Bank of England? I don't know. What does the global code say on this, Colin? The global code doesn't say anything about this, Colin. And I think that's a, I think that's a huge gap in it. Um, I mean, it's an interesting one because I, you know, I look at it and go, to me, I don't think any of the traders have really done anything wrong beyond maybe their due diligence to this firm wasn't that good. But the fact remains is the audio feed existed and therefore we assume was available for use. Now, there's an assumption there which... Um, as the great philosopher Stephen Seagal once said, is the mother of all stuff-ups. He didn't use the word stuff, of course. Um, but it's... I, I, I look at it and think to myself, well, the problem here is actually whether this firm was lying to the Bank of England. The legal ramifications here should be between the firm and the Bank of England, not any use of this firm's service, because you know, they've got a website, and they're saying, we do not release this you know, um, the, any information that isn't public. We just get it to you faster. So what's yeah. the difference between that and someone building a microwave tower to get data or someone yeah. co-locating, you know, an, I mean, inch, an inch closer? My, my personal opinion is, is once the information is public, it's public, right? It, it's, yeah. It's out there and, and made the fastest person win. Because I mean, the fact is, if someone was sitting there in the Bank of England press conference with a a trading app sitting at the back of the room, they would have a two-second advantage on the people with a seven-second advantage. Because obviously it said, he just said that Sterling's, you know, you've got to think quick, obviously, but Sterling's going up, bang, mine on your trading app. Because you know, there's a lot of people offering us mobile trading. If you're sitting in the Bank of England press conference, bang, mine. I've just bought Sterling because his he's, he's forward guidance has turned bullish. So what I'm hearing from you, Colin, is I need to start going to Bank of England press conferences. That's no, what I wouldn't I'm recommend it, to be honest. I wouldn't recommend <laughs> it. <yeah. laughs> I, I, I think the problem is, is that this is one of those things where um, maybe this firm is using the, the, the Bank of England feed without permission. And that yeah. then becomes a legal issue. But I think it also highlights the level of paranoia in the banking world in particular that um, there is actually um, investigations going on. So, oh, did any of our traders use this feed? I think, well, if I, and, and you know what's, what happens. If someone used the feed, they'll probably suspend them and we'll have another unfair dismissal around the things. And I'm going, like, why don't we just give it up now and say, you know what? Um, as far as they were aware, this is public information. It was delivered by a company. Um, 
you know, with the with the correct bona fides, they did have a contract with the Bank of England. We didn't look at the details of the contract with the Bank of England. Why would we? So the the dealers themselves should not be on the receiving end of anything here, um, and hopefully, hopefully they will move on from it, you know, pretty quickly. But um, yeah, I, I I think it's an interesting. I mean, you know, one other question I would suggest though is that um, you know, as I, I put this in my column as well, you we live in a world of speed where speed is everything. Um, why is I mean I know Mike Carney is a good-looking guy, but why why are we worrying about video feeds? If you can get it to the trailer seven seconds quicker, why not put the audio feed in? I agree, definitely. It's just strange. I mean, you know, people don't want to sit there and look at us do this rubbish. They want to listen to us, so they can doze oh, off on the phone. It's because you got a face for radio, mate. <laughs> Tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, Speaking of, speaking of strange things that um, happened over the Christmas period, um, I saw an academic paper come out. <laughs> and if they're struggling to get to sleep now, they're, gonna, they're soon going to be sound <laughs> after that line, aren't they? Um, but, yeah, uh, so this academic paper came out, and um, a, I think it's a data scientist, I have to say, um, in Singapore had written this academic paper on um, Twitter and FX markets. And basically, they set out to um, work out whether Twitter predicts uh, FX market moves. Now we've had this, we've got that, we had the, these Twitter following hedge funds a few years ago, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. With with mixed results, I think Derwent Capital might have been the name of one of them. I don't know if they're still going, but um, we had we've had Twitter following hedge funds, but this was specifically to FX. And the guy was going like, does Twitter? Um, predict FX rates. So can you trade FX off Twitter? And they kind of set up a quasi you know, um, model to trade it. And they've gone into a lot of pages of data and a lot of formula that I just don't understand. Um, how do you think the fund did? Um, I'm going to guess badly. Yeah, yeah. Um, how, but the, question, the question is how badly? Well, and that's what I think is interesting because there's no number put on it. It's that bad. <laughs> um, now, I'm all for academic work advancing the world. Um, <laughs> as everyone gets nervous when I start this sentence, yeah, another sentence. I'm all for the academic world, blah, blah, blah. But I could have told them that. Twitter <laughs> is full of lunatics. I mean, I went through my Twitter feed on the bus going into work yesterday. I'm going like... What? I mean, how do I manage to follow these people? And then, of course, you realise that actually you're not following these people at all. It's somebody you do follow, follows them, and they've said something and they've liked it or they've done something, and you're like, but this is absolute arrogant nonsense. And like just people letting off steam and, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm a madman with an idea in my head. Let me just tweet it out. I mean, who would do that? Apart from the leader of the free world, of course. Um, of course. Well, as you said, but, lunatic. Yeah, so, yes, exactly, yes. But, I mean, I would look at it and go, like, well, I could tell you that Twitter's not a good source for this sort of stuff. Twitter will be a good source for stuff um, if you've got reputable services. And I think we've done this before, on the, maybe even on the podcast. You know, if, you've got, if you're following reputable sources on, news, on Twitter, then some news may be broken a bit early on Twitter. That does happen. But to actually try and work out sentiment... I mean, yeah, try and work out an opinion looking at Twitter. You'll be an absolute maniac yourself within a week. So, here we go. 
Anyway, I think we um, we probably should end there. I think actually, I don't think there's anything else we need to talk about, is there? Uh, of um, course there is, Colin. Of course, the most exciting no, piece is, of news of of Thanks the week. For no. Uh, what's this? <laughs> Which is not to not to flog a dead horse, but regular listeners will be well aware of 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 the ongoing uh, CTA debate that Colin and I have been having. Oh, we've just and, run uh, out of time, Galen. I'm really sorry. We got we got some interesting <laughs> figures in. So so not just CTAs, but but trend following now. Regular readers of Profit and Loss will remember that in, in September 2018, Colin and I each wrote an article in which Colin argued why trend following is dead, and I argued why it isn't. I'm just going to read you one, one, uh, one line from, from Colin's argument. Um, so trend following is a strategy from a bygone era, one that struggles to meet the criteria of the modern investor and fails to handle the modern market structure. Now, in an article that we published today, Today, I see that trend followers were up 9.22% for 2019. That doesn't sound mm. like a, um, a strategy from a bygone era struggling to, to handle today's markets, Colin. Mm. And, and you can quote me the S&P. You can quote me whatever you want. Double-digit returns, oh, well, no matter how you slice it, is good. Yeah, no, but it wasn't double-digit returns, Galen. It was 9.22%. Oh, the hedge fund, the HFR head. index Splitting is up 10.4. The Barclay hedge, hedge, hedge fund index was up, was up 10.7. S&P um, was up 29%. There are loads of others up there that were all into double figures, and it didn't get into double figures. As I think I may have commented on your LinkedIn post, mate, you know, my Labrador could have produced 9.22%. Oh, oh, could they, Colin? Okay, so so while we're talking about Labradors producing nine point two two percent, how is your uh, how did your trade of the year end up? How was how was Noki, considering your Labrador could have done better? How did Noki Mex end up for you? Make a lot of money off that? Get get nine plus percent my, off that? All I you? can say is all I can say is I wish my I, I spoke to my Labrador about my Noki Mex, and he, and he went go on double down, roll it for another year, and this year will be the year. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, at least so. So last year, last year you made up some nonsense about oil prices and something to try and justify. At least now you're fully admitting that you're just asking your dog for financial advice. Yes. <laughs> and at least you know being, what? Sadly, at least being honest my dog is long dead as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes. Um, on that, on that upbeat note, we will yeah. close out for this week. <laughs> Yes, well done, Galen. The trend following did come back, and I'm glad. And I'm glad for all the trend followers out there. Um, actually, on a serious note, it's interesting to look at that performance, which is you know decent by any, any standards, and to reflect upon the fact that there are still reports out. You know, you, you run a report um, for us just before Christmas about you know managed futures still sort of struggling to come to terms with with you know with aspects of the market, a part of which will be trend following, of course. So. The feeling in the industry doesn't seem to be that as positive for some for yeah for a, for an industry that made ten percent, but it could be genuinely speaking, and we've said this before that they're they're underperforming the public stock indices, which is not what they should be compared to, but be, you know, no. that's the way it's going to be. No, but yeah, I think I think part of it is the reason why they're not feeling that great is because they're they're underperforming some of the public stock indices, which, as you say, they shouldn't be compared to, but. They're also underperforming it when those indices go down, which yeah, yeah. is when you typically expect. Because I guess, I guess the fundamental question you ask is, okay, 
you know, the argument for CTAs is, you know, you get returns. Yes, they might be less than, yeah. you know, the S&P 500 or whatever sometimes. But if things go yeah. bad in the equity, I'm still going to be, I'm still going to have an opportunity yeah. to make money. They're not offering so diversification of returns. Yeah. So, so if I'm if I'm making less money than the S&P when it's going well and less money and I'm yeah. making bigger losses when it goes bad, you kind of wonder, yeah. well, what's the point? Yeah, and, and, and I, I think you're absolutely correct. And I think I think what that is, say that that the, the fact that they're not offering that diversification of returns, in spite of their positive performance on the year, um, highlights how I can't remember what the exact quote was, but I think it was how they're struggling to come to terms with the modern market structure. Anyway, <laughs> on that note, <laughs> um, thanks very much for listening. Um, yes, so welcome to another year of nonsense, and we'll be uh, back next week. Um, thanks for listening. Have a good week.